Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. So that 250 grand a year will open up 10,000 acres per year. Anglers don't fish shallow enough a lot of times. And part of that is they, they, they think that, you know, in the summer you gotta go deep for walleyes. And by law, 98% of that money has to be spent on wetland conservation. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoors Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. Sorry, I'm slightly distra- distracted by the DNR fish uh, pond. What do they call this thing? The fish pond cam? Live cam? Yeah. The DNR fish State pond. Fair Week, ladies and gentlemen. So. That's all we're doing for the next 12 days. (laughs) Well, in between looking at fish, we're going to talk to Sam Solholt this week on the show. Uh, He's going to tell us about a new conservation program that just launched in South Dakota, which I think is pretty neat. You're still watching it? I am still watching it, yeah. Sorry. I'm definitely distracted. Look at the fillets on that (laughs) small mouth right there. (laughs) Small mouth. Oh, pike. Ooh, eat eat the small mouth. Go eat it. (laughs) Come on. Have you ever, you know... Musky? Have you ever watched tarpon? Another? Oh, that is a musky. Look at that. Oh, yeah, it's a musky. I don't remember all the bait fish in there, so I'm I'm guessing that they do end up getting cleaned out. But have you ever seen another fish eat another fish on this camera? I've never watched the camera. I've only watched it in real life. Oh gosh, we we have definitely lost productive days. Well, look at this. This is I don't know how we have to go till commercial break, and all we're gonna do is give a <laughs> this fish pond break. Great radio. Are we gonna get a copyright claim because of this? Oh, probably. I think if you if, you, if we just comment on it, if you go or, minimize the screen a little bit, well, it's, I don't know it's if you can. Fun. Maybe you can't. But if we're talking about it, anyway, you can watch it now on the DNR website. It's kind of cool. Um, We'll probably be going back and forth to it during the show this week. But uh, anyway, we're also going to talk about how the early Canada goose season has been going for anybody that's been doing it. If you have been. Comment below with your success so far. Uh, we'll talk about some new videos that we have on YouTube. Uh, pretty cool wallet story from from Lake of the Woods. If you hadn't heard, I'm sure you've heard about it by now. But if not, we'll explain what happened up there. Once in a lifetime event that took place uh, and some other things too. First, that's Dan Amundsen over there. Dan, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I got distracted. I got a. There I am. <laughs> Sweet. How's it going? We're back, David. How the how the heck are you? I haven't seen you. In a I'm while. doing good been a while haven't talked to you in like three weeks so uh <laughs> good to see you how's it going david yeah, good to see you guys too it's how the, good how the crops looking good the 109 degree uh heat index that we had this week good yeah, or bad it's so hot <laughs> just avoided being outside it's gross aren't you glad they make air conditioning tractors yeah pretty happy about it do you yeah. have one you got air conditioning in yours oh of course <laughs> <laughs> Duh. haven't had to sit in any of them yet but man it's uh, ridiculous. Well, it won't be lasting long. You can tell right before that last heat wave, the evenings and in the mornings were a little bit crisper. The The wind felt a little bit cooler. It's uh, it's like fall is almost here. Sorry, I'm definitely distracted again here. <laughs> At least we can see days. ourselves in the corner. So. There you go. That's yeah. better. Then yeah. I don't think we'll get a copyright claim. Uh, if we do, we'll just make a couple phone calls. What is going on? They're right up next to the camera. Is Whoa. This is that put a- down? I don't, I don't know, know what kind of camera they have. I want to put live scope in this thing though. Now, Can you imagine? Every once in a while, one of the DNR employees gets to fish out of this fish. This oh, thing really? Too. 
Yeah, they'll do some demonstrations and they'll just lob. I've never seen them catch one, yeah. but I'm always there on like the eighth day of the fair. So there's probably just like one rainbow trout that's just cruising around that eats it every time. And finally, by the like day day ten, he's like, really? Oh, <laughs> eats it again because it's a rainbow trout. They eat everything. I feel like around. there's a lot of carp and buffalo and suckers in there this oh, year. So like a lot of other lakes in Minnesota. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably <laughs> just trying to reflect reality. I've always told people if they want to learn more about trout and why trout anglers like that species of fish so much is because you watch this camera and right now, yeah, all those fish are a little bit active, but most of the time you'll see walleyes just kind of hanging out on the bottom. You'll see some fish moving around a little bit, bass and pike and whatever, but the trout, whether it's rainbows, uh, what was that? Was that a quill bat? What are those quill backs? Is that what those fish are called or quill? Uh, oh, sturgeon, sturgeon right there. That's cool. Sturgeon. Look at him go. But the trout normally, all species of trout are normally just doing laps as fast as they can around this thing. It's pretty wild. Oh, look at that fish is chasing bait fish around. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I think that was I a think trout. I think that's a trout, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Walleye. What? You see yep. that? There's just no walleyes in Minnesota. Sunk down to the bottom. Well, it's probably stocked. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, who are this week's sponsors? Live Target. Matt Sash at LiveTargetLures.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip to the... Walleye Capital of the World at lakethewoodsmn.com. Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Learn more at haybellheights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman, the new season is wrapped up. We'll be filming episodes pretty quick, and we'll have another new season next January. But in the meantime, you can watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. David, you were supposed to bring us some sweet corn. I was. But I didn't find out till I was already on my way here. So. You blew it. I did. Do you grow that, or is that somebody else growing it? Uh, my brother-in-law has a pretty good patch. This Come year, on. So. <laughs> I did try to grow some, but the deer ate it all. I didn't oh. get a single ear out of it. <laughs> oh, really? Nope. Not was one. that just garden corn, or is that uh, did you actually try to grow? I grew it in a food plot that I have behind my grove. So most of it's field corn for the deer and pheasants. But I did eight rows of sweet corn, about fifty yards long, and. Didn't get a single ear. <laughs> so what is the diff? Like when you talk about sweet corn, field corn, what what is the actual difference between some of that? I don't know. I think it's just sweeter. That's just something in I genetically eat field corn. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, genetically it's different. Well, yeah, it's a different subspecies. You know, like popcorn. I don't know. So what you're saying is in this excessive heat we have, we can't, like the fields aren't just going to start no. popping with popcorn? Not yet. Dang. That'd be cool. What what it's temperature? Yeah, I wonder what temperature that, is that, could that actually ever happen? Or how hot does popcorn actually no. need to get? Yeah, probably not. Pretty hot. Pretty hot. I'm going to Google David, it. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll watch the fish in the meantime. There here. we go. There. Yeah. How, how hot? Oh. 180 degrees Celsius or 350 degrees, 355 degrees Fahrenheit to pop popcorn. Hmm. So we were pretty close. That felt like yeah. yesterday. We were pretty close. It was the sun was down. It was still felt like 103 last. Night. Yeah, it was gross. <laughs> what the Ridiculous. Heck? Yeah. Man. All right. A uh, new video at the Fish Hunt Forever channel. Uh, Dan, you put up a video on how to bleed fish. Yeah. You know, bleeding fish has become more popular. It's really easy. Um, everyone kind of, I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people already know how to do it. So I went a little more in depth in that. I had a tip uh, where to do it, 
why to do it there, how to keep your stuff way cleaner, way easier, um, keeps your fish fresher. So maybe it's not innovative. I've never heard anyone talk about it. So uh, go check that out on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. It's a real quick video. So it uh, won't take up most of your time, but will help you have a tastier fish fry. And coming soon to that same channel, our Kodiak Island waterfowl adventure. The film is almost ready. Uh, we're excited to, to, to bring that to you. We had a trip there last December. Uh, and you know it was just amazing just a cool place to be and uh, we tried to capture all of alaska's beauty in a waterfowl film for you and we'll be sharing that on fish hunt forever youtube channel so make sure you go there like us and subscribe to that channel today uh dove season is almost here early goose early teal david what are your thoughts on um early teal season in minnesota is this the third this will be the year three now this right? is the third year yeah so i kind of forgot about it actually until you said the Brought it up a couple minutes ago. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, I just, you know, I could care less. My whole reason to have the early teal season originally was so we could extend our waterfall season later into November, and that that didn't happen. So now I could go either way. You know, really, my experience with shooting early teal is when they land in the decoys and you see that it's teal, that's when I shoot them, basically. Or when they swim into the decoys. Right. And with the heat wave this week, the thought of standing in waders. Yeah. In a slough, just sounds horrible. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably still do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not excited about that thought. <laughs> so the original plan was three years of the early teal season. Then they were going to re-examine it. I don't see them taking it away. I mean, how are you guys? Got feeling for you guys? I'm now. Nah. Right, somebody was it? Maybe it was you, David. Said they looked into regulations for 2024. It would be in the or They're somewhere. Right somebody already I saw that it was me. The dates were already set. Yeah. So. Now, could that have just been a glitch in the computer system, whatever? Because obviously waterfall regulations don't get set till summer normally. So, But some of that, since it's a state reg, might be able That's to be made. The difference. But I feel like they still have to reevaluate everything. And I would assume we'd hear something about that. So, I yeah, I don't, I've never heard anybody really bash it. And I really don't have a problem with it. That's a long fish that just swam by, <laughs> whatever that is. It's <laughs> um, oh, so, a dogfish. Yeah, look at that. So I don't Ocean. think it, I don't think it'll go anywhere, and I really don't care. I think it's fine. I don't. I haven't seen any major issues with it. So oh, our pizza's, pizza's done. done. All right, <laughs> Alexa, off. Gosh. All right. Um, so if you want to see the teal season continue, or if you think we should go back to the way it was before, comment below with your thoughts if you're watching this on YouTube. All right, we have got Sam Soholt coming up, and we're going to hear uh, a little bit more about how fishing is at Lake of the Woods when we come back with Joe Henry on Sporting Journal Radio. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, now it's time to check in with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods to get a fishing report from the big walleye factory known as a walleye capital of the world. Joe, how you doing? Hey, it is a walleye factory, and uh, I'll tell you what, man, there's a lot of nice fish being caught. Yeah, you were up there recently, weren't you? I was, yeah. You know, actually, we shot a we shot a TV show, Brett, with uh, Larry Smith of Larry Smith Outdoors, and, uh, you know, we worked with some different folks just to, to kind of get the word out on Lake of the Woods, and uh, tell you what, boy, we... Uh, 
we shot a couple of shows and man alive did we have some good fishing you know we uh we first went out on a charter boat just to show off charter boat fishing you know uh really uh the thing about charter boat fishing is that anybody can do it even if you're a non-angler maybe you don't have the right boat whatever the case you step on a charter boat you know they're going to put you on good fish they know where the fish are at um they provide rods reels tackle bait license licensed charter captain and the other kicker is these charter captains are networked with other captains in real time so you know they are uh you have a very, very good chance of catching some nice walleyes. And we did that. We wanted to show that off. So instead of using Larry Smith's Warrior, we went out on a charter boat. Man, alive, do we have a nice day. I mean, we uh, we ended up uh, catching uh, our, our limits of eaters. And then we ended up catching some very big fish. Um, in fact, you know, uh, we, we the pressure was off after we caught our eaters. So we went and we fished the big walleyes. And Right off the bat, I think I got a 25 and a half. Then I got a 28 and a half. Larry got a 27 and a half. We got a 26 and a half. And we just got some really big fish. And it was cool because you could see those big arches laying on the, on the bottom on the sonar of the charter boat. And we're like, oh, man, if these fish go, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're pulling along. And we, and we went, we were by some rocks in, in one area. And, you know, you got to keep your, your, your bottom bouncer and a spinner with a crawler out of the rocks. So you're going along and you're touching the rock once in a while, just keeping it above those rocks. And, and all of a sudden you feel this heavy weight and you're like, you, you kind of just kind of start toning up on it. Don't be a rock. Don't be a rock. Come with me. And then you freaking let them have it. And you feel a first good head shake is like, okay, big fish. <laughs> yeah, we did. We got some, we got some good ones, but that was really cool. And then what we did is that, that evening we took a, a got in after the charter, took a couple hour break, and then that evening we went fishing on the river. We wanted to shoot a, a rainy river show, so we we casted for a couple of hours, and honestly we got you know I think we got a, maybe a small a couple of smaller bass and some pike, some eater pike, but they weren't big. But then the next morning we went out and we started casting, and uh, uh, man, we got some nice smallmouth, we got some more pike, and then we started pulling spinners on the rainy river, and I'll tell you what, man, we we caught everything we caught nice walleyes we caught saugers got some smallmouth bass pike and we got three really big crappies in the river pulling spinners mm -hmm. so really a nice mixed bag interesting i like the idea of going up there and catching crappies in the river and catching them pulling spinners um that you don't think of crappies very often when you think of lake of the woods joe well, no, you, you don't. And, and I'll tell you, there are crappies to be had, though. And, you know, what, what, what people are noticing is when they're out fishing Big Traverse Bay, the great big open water, specifically maybe in a fish house primarily, when they're out there, you know, it's kind of like, wow, we got a couple crappies today when we're fishing walleyes, you know, and that happens. But then there are pockets within the Rainy River that people actually fish crappies and get some nice crappies around some docks and things. And then the other area is up at the northwest angle. Um, a lot of the anglers, especially coming up in the fall, September and October, it's it's a known fact that those crappies school up, and uh, there'll, there'll be some real good crappie fishing going on up at the Northwest Angle. You know, a lot of times when I say the Northwest Angle, the, ang the people will stay at the Northwest Angle, and then you can fish um, into Ontario. As long as you don't touch land, you don't have to call into customs or anything. You just have to have an Ontario fishing license and and such, and uh and they'll go over and find some nice crappies. They'll get their walleyes when they're over there. A lot of times it's a multi-species multi uh, trip, but um, some nice opportunities. There's some huge crappies up there, Brett. When when people go crappie fishing, one of the lures to that area is that when you're getting them, they're, they're big. And 
I say big, I mean, every year they get a couple of crappies that are almost up to up to 17 inches. You know, Joe, when you look at August and even the back half of August here, it seems like fishing's starting to slow down a little bit. And I always thought it was maybe just people transitioning to fall, starting to think about hunting. But when you look at a lot of walleye lakes, the so walleye fishing gets a little bit tougher. But at Lake of the Woods, it, it seems to either pick up even just a little bit or... Uh, or maybe even uh, stay just as good. August fishing at Lake of the Woods is what I'm trying to say is pretty good. Why do you, why do you think that lake is different? Just because uh, there's so many walleyes there, there's a lot of forage there, they don't have to travel around, everything just kind of stays in that basin? Or why do you think it stays good in August up there? But I think I think a couple of things, you know, and, and, and there are, there are um, situations that can make walleye fishing tough on Lake of the Woods. We we had a really big bug hatch recently, really big bug hatch. And for a few days, walleye fishing was tougher. People still caught walleyes, but it was tougher, you know, noticeably. But uh, things like that can happen. But I tell you, as a rule, here's what I think it is. We we have such a line on these walleyes like that. That big Traverse Bay is an example. That big basin that that's a great big bowl of mud, and the deepest spot out there is about 38 feet. So we know that a good number of the walleyes will go out in that deep mud because there's so much food. There's there's you know minnows, there's perch, there's crayfish spots, there's you know different bug hatches. Those larval will come out of the mud. There's bloodworms in the mud. There's so much food out there for them. There's there's a, a tulabies swimming around in small schools. Those tulabies are a especially when a walleye turns 25 inches on Lake of the Woods, which is about a five pounder, they will start targeting tulabies as the main source of their diet. But all those things are going on in that basin. So it's perfect. 30 to 38 feet of water and, and, and tons of food. Those fish get out there. And now you got, you got bait, you got schools of walleyes and there's no weeds. There's no weeds out there. So you yeah. control. I think that's a, I think that's a big part of it. You know, they don't yeah. have weeds to hide out in. When I'm fishing in inland lakes, you know, when we're fishing weeds, and weeds are hard to fish. They, they're just a, they're a pain in the butt. But there are walleyes in those weeds. And yeah. that's where I think a lot of those summer walleyes live. Yeah, you got some walleyes that are out in no man's land. You got in an in inland lake. You got some walleyes that are out in sunken islands and the traditional spots. I also think anglers don't fish shallow enough a lot of times. And part of that is they, they, they think that, you know, in the summer you got to go deep for walleyes. I also think that they can see the walleyes on their electronics when they're in deep water. That gives them more confidence. And I also think that they don't try it shallow very often. Because sometimes when you're fishing shallower, you just got to try it. You just got to cast and, and see if they're living there and, and find your different weed pockets and stuff. But all those things make it more difficult. One of the reasons Lake Lewis shines in August. Yeah. And and we don't even talk about suspended fish. We can talk about that more next week. But uh, being in that it's this time of year, the state fair is around the corner. I want to talk about what you have going on at the state fair this year, Joe. Yeah, well, you know, we, um, so Keep It Clean, um, of course, Keep It Clean is the purpose of that organization or that movement is to, you know, educate, promote, and enforce keeping garbage and human waste off of the ice. And, you know, we started that up at Lake of the Woods approximately 10, 11 years ago. Since then, fast forward to now, we got about 50 lakes on board with us. And we're working as a, a whole group now. We got the DNR on board, MC, MPCA, MinFish just passed new legislation so there's a new law this year for ice fishing in fact it's, it's in place as we speak that when when you go on the ice this winter in minnesota it will be illegal to place any kind of garbage or waste on the ice you have to keep it in your fish house got to keep it in your vehicle or you have to keep it in a container a enclosed container that's attached to you know your fish house or your vehicle or something so 
we believe that that rule alone is going to eliminate literally tons of garbage from Minnesota waterways this year. We have a deal at the state fair. Um, the state fair opens this coming Thursday, which I think would be what the 24th of August. And on the Friday, the 25th of August at 11 o'clock in the morning, we are going to have a, a, a press conference. And the press conference will be to talk about the new legislation. Uh, we're going to uh, show off a brand new uh, wheelhouse that was uh, funded through some grants uh, through Beltrami County. Um, the wheelhouse is a got to keep a clean wrap to it. They're, we're going to have a display with keep it clean um, throughout the entire state fair. It's going to be the DNR area near the fish pond. And uh, so people, if they go to the state fair, you'll be able to come by and see our, our new fish house. We uh, created a new mural um, for the fish house, which shows, it's kind of cool. It shows you know, half of the ice shows what it looks like when you're not taking care of the fishery. And the other part shows what's happening when you're taking care. It's just a reminder. It's kind of a neat little piece. But we uh, we expect Ron Scherer to be there. Uh, Sarah Stroman, the head of the DNR, will be there. Uh, representative from MPCA, conservation officers, and, you know, maybe a, a host of media. But uh, so I'll be emceeing that event. And, uh, and again, it's just awareness for Keep It Clean. And Brett, you, you, we've all talked about Keep It Clean. You donated some of the proceeds from your your spring rainy river tournament to the keep it clean um you know movement and um it's it's a good thing it's not a heavy lift it's something that we can all embrace and uh it's only going to lead to good things for our waterways yeah i think it's a good a good cause and i'm happy to get behind it and uh there, there's a couple of things that you have going on that i think are great causes up there pay it forward i want to talk more about that next week joe but before we let you go i, I just want one more fishing tip for you if we're up at lake of the woods and we're trying to target, say, wallets full of cash. Are we pulling spinners? Are we jigging? What, what are we show doing? Up on live scope? Based on recent events, I'll tell you what I would do. I would put on a bottom, I would put on a good sinker, put on a two hook harness and just drag that bottom because every once in a while, you're going to snag a wallet and there's going to be a couple thousand dollars in there, just like Man, happened last week. What a story. Very good. Unbelievable. All right, Joe, if people want to plan a trip to Lake of the Woods, maybe start thinking about winter fishing up there, what should they do? And, and fall fishing, too, man. Fall's going to be awesome this year. Hey, check out our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Kodiak, a North American waterfowl film, is coming to the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. I've been a sea duck hunter for about 30 seconds, and I've already got one that's probably going to go on the wall. So this is the coolest duck hunt I've ever been on. Presented by Boss Shot Shells, with support from Sitka and Beretta and additional support from Alclair Outdoors, High Prairie Animal Arts, and the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. Watch Kodiak on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. Well, our next guest has a new way to raise some money and he's uh, breaking a sweat while he does it. Sam Soholt joins us now on the show. Sam, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, uh, are you uh, have you been out rucking around today or what? Uh... <laughs> I did, I did, you know, I did like four and a half miles last night, um, ended up doing like the last half hour after dark. So I took the morning off, um, oh. but I'll probably, I don't know, probably get another five to eight miles in this evening. Okay. You're doing a hundred miles in three days, hundred miles in three days. And that is in, uh, September 13, 14, 15. Okay. So right now you're just doing it, getting in shape a little bit training. I'm just, I'm just training. All right. So yep. what, what's this all about? Prairie pothole duck ruck. What are you doing? So we've done the Stamp It Forward project the last four years. And what, in the past, what we've done is just 
basically ask people to send us money. And then with all of the donation, we buy duck stamps with it. And by law, 98% of that money has to be spent on wetland conservation. So this year, rather than just kind of doing the same old thing and asking people for donations, I figured it might uh, work better if I earned it. And so put together a pledge page uh, that you just shown there. And it's uh, people can donate as little as 10 cents a mile or 10 bucks. And basically I wanted to lower the barrier of entry for people to get involved. And so anybody who's listening to this, watching this, if you have 10 bucks to spare and you want to help raise a hundred thousand dollars for wetland conservation, you can head over to the website, donate 10 bucks and know that 100% of that money raised will be spent on wetlands by buying duck stamps. And then we'll turn that into additional fundraisers. Raisers. We've got a bunch of ideas for the, the stamps this year. That's a very cool idea. Uh, what do you, what do you, what are you putting in your pack for something like this? So as little as possible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, uh, my older brother who owns public land tees with me, uh, he's flying out and we're going to, he's going to leapfrog me in the bus. And, uh, and so I won't have to carry like an entire like camping setup, which will be nice. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, he came up with the idea. Originally, I was going to start at Sand Lake National Wildlife Refuge since duck stamps pay for all the refuges and refuge system. Oh, yeah. And um, I was going to hike north into North Dakota, but I'm actually going to reverse that and quote unquote migrate um, <laughs> Sand Lake National Wildlife Refuge. So I'll start somewhere in North Dakota, uh, building the route on Onyx, which I'll share. So if anybody gets a wild hair and wants to come walk, you know, three, five, 10, 20 miles with me, uh, more than welcome to, but yeah, going to be migrating from North Dakota to South Dakota through the heart of the Prairie pothole region. And, uh, along the way, giving away a whole bunch of stuff, but the main goal is to raise hundred K and educate people on where all of that funding comes from and where it goes and just try to earn people's donations rather than just being like, Hey, Venmo me some money. Let's, uh, right. <laughs> we'll buy duck. We promise. That's pretty cool. And that's a neat area down there too. I love that border country between North Dakota and South Dakota. And it, you are in the heart of the prairie. And the best part about it, very flat. So, so <laughs> very flat. I, I, built, I built a tentative route on Onyx and it was like right at a hundred miles, obviously. And my total elevation gain was 318 feet. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Which I didn't think that was even possible. Like there's enough undulation, you know, like through all the potholes and stuff, you would think there would be, no. you know, you'd gain a little bit more than that, but no, that's, uh, yeah, it's just flat. Very flat. I've spent a lot of time down there between uh, snow goose chasing and, and pheasant chasing and this and that. And when I lived in North Dakota, I, I would fill my pack with bowling balls to walk around and get in shape. So I expect yep. you exercised. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Oh. <laughs> it's been a while. But yeah, that that's kind of what I would do. So I, I, I always thought it was creative. Whoever could come up with something cool to put in your pack for training like that. I always heard different things from different people. So I expect something I, creative out of you. So I have for training uh, for the longest time, I would do um, like dumbbells and stuff. But then to like, I would start with, call it, you know, 25, 30 pounds of dumbbells. But then to add weight, um, I started putting in those canvas bags of shotgun shells. Mm. Um you know, just fill one of those and just jam it in there. So I'd be carrying around like a hundred rounds of whatever shotgun shells to add weight. Stamp it forward boss shells, probably. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very cool. Uh, what are these dates that you're doing it again? Okay. So the hike will start September 13th and I'll hike 
33 miles a day, September 13, 14, 15. And then we're going to celebrate, hopefully raising 100K um, with a pint night in Fargo at Fargo Brewing Company. Oh, very on nice. The 16th. Yeah. On the 16th. Okay. And, yep. you know, and Dan had a good idea. Do you want to, you know, we, we try to raise money for good causes here too. And we were looking for uh, something else to donate from our store to donate to. What do you think, Dan? Well, what if we put, yeah. I like duck stamps. What's uh, next until, however long this donation period's open, I guess. I don't, what, what's our percentage out of the store again? I can't remember I can't what remember. it is. Yeah, whatever it is. Um, So all that that percentage of of proceeds that we get from the Fish Hunt Forever store on sweatshirts, hats, mugs, hoodies, everything that's in that store, uh, we'll go to Stamp It Forward. We'll help you hit that hundred thousand mark, Sam. How about that? Sweet, that's awesome. That's awesome. Can't thank you guys enough for that. Well, you know, it's all about giving giving some back and creating opportunities and uh, creating habitat and things like that. And Sam, before we started, you were telling us about a new program in South Dakota that uh, Ben Bredigan and OnX and Pheasants Forever were a part of. I, I saw it when we recorded this on the 23rd. That's when the story came out. That was the first I'd heard about it. There's a new program called Path in South Dakota, Sam, that you're telling us about. Yeah, so uh, a guy named Joshua Heyer just sent me the article he wrote about it this morning. Um, And I had actually been lucky enough to kind of know some of the behind the scenes of this project coming forward. So it's called the PATH program, which is public access to hunters or to hunting. I don't know if it's to hunters or whatever, it doesn't matter. Public Um, access to habitat. Public access to habitat. There you go. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, so, (laughs) So basically what it is, is a yearly fundraising goal of $250,000. And what that does is it sweetens the pot and incentivizes landowners to put their ground into walk-in hunting. So that 250 grand a year will open up 10,000 acres per year. And the minimum contract that the landowner is required to enter into is 10 years. So if they, you know, with $250,000, I think was raised already this year. And so that'll open up 10,000 acres this year. And then continuing forward for the next decade. So it'll open up a hundred thousand acres of public hunting uh, for people in South Dakota and anybody traveling to South Dakota. And so the way it works, it's going to complement the current walk-in area program in South Dakota and they get a buck 50 to $2 per acre. So we were breaking down the math a little bit. So say you got 160 acres and you're getting two bucks an acre, you're getting 300, 320 bucks a year. Uh, so for 10 years, you know, you're you're looking at whatever three three grand or so thirty two hundred dollars, and yeah. then with this you get an extra four grand on top of that. So over ten years, you're more than doubling your money with the walk-in program. Because I think that's I think the walk-in programs are great. You know, I I kind of grew up a little bit with the plots program in in North Dakota when it comes to public land. Anyway, the plots program I always thought was great. Minnesota has the walk-in access. I know a number of states have walk-in type programs, but I would you know. David, as a as a landowner, how how do you feel the rates for the walk in program are? I guess I don't have any in the walk in program, but I mean it's a good it's a good addition to land that's maybe subprime. I mean, have you have you felt that maybe more money needs to be spent? I guess I don't know about that, but it's, okay, it's a good option for less optimal land. Because it all comes down to money, right? Right. right, For the most part, especially for farmers trying to grow. I mean, obviously it's marginal, but uh, a lot of times when rates are high, they're going to try to grow corn or beans on that property unless they can get paid a a competitive rate in some sort of easement program. So uh, anytime you can complement like these walk-in access programs, I think uh, think it's great. 
And I'd assume that's where this is coming from. And this has been in the works for a couple of years, Sam. Yeah. So I went down with the Pheasants Forever guys and hunted a bunch of uh, land that was put into public by the Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition. So that's kind of where this stemmed from. And around Aberdeen, they went to businesses in the community and basically got donations. And then they were able to open up 4,000 acres in the first year of operating that. And so after looking at the success around just that area, they figured, well, let's figure out how to do this statewide and we can start to open up access everywhere and kind of decrease the crowding on public land as well and just increase people's opportunity and experience uh, while they're there. And I think, you know, it's hard to purchase more public land. It's hard to put land back into public once it's gone. So I think that next frontier is going to be programs like this. And I think yeah. it's going to expand beyond South Dakota, like is incentivizing landowners to open it up for public access. All right, Sam Soholder is our guest. I want to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about public access. Uh, the programs are out there and some issues like uh, emergency hang and grazing. Uh, how do you feel about that? We'll ask Sam for his thoughts. When we Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog with an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs the ultimate frog has two styles two sizes and eight colors and i cast an ftex winner the live shrimp mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers coming soon from live target Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. We're back. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, sportingjournalradio.com, or by downloading the podcast. Maybe watching this on YouTube. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And comment below if you hear something that we're talking about that you have a comment on. We'd love to hear it. We want to talk to you about it. Uh, encourage some discussion below here on our YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you let us know your thoughts. Our guest is Sam Sohol right now, who is raising $100,000 with a 100-mile 100 ruck across North Dakota and South Dakota. Sam, uh, again, what, what website, where do we find that information about that uh, event coming up the 13th through the 16th of September? So if you go to publiclandtees.com forward slash duckruck, all the information is, uh, is on there on that page. And then all of our social stuff has it as well. The duck ruck. Very cool. And you're going to be seeing a lot of public and private lands during that ruck. I'm sure walking through the pothole, the prairie pothole regions of uh, North Dakota and South Dakota. And, I'll be curious, this, it's been so dry, especially here in Minnesota. I know somebody shared, I don't know, David, I think you brought it up. Somebody shared a post on Facebook. They walked by WMA and it was covered in cows. It had new cattle fencing up, had new barbed wire. I think it had barbed wire or electric fencing around it. I don't remember. Yeah. Some sort of fencing. Yeah. And those cows have been in there all year and this guy had a serious problem with it. I see where he's coming from, but the like emergency hang and grazing, it's not a new thing. We're, and, and obviously the grazing can be uh, similar to a natural disturbance on that ground, can actually be good for it in the long run. But at the end of the day, someone that maybe hunted that historically, it, it might see a little frustration with that. Where do you stand, Sam, on some of that emergency graying that takes place? 
It graying, grazing, grazing. <laughs> I'm just combining hang and grazing efficiency. You know, it is, it is incredibly easy to be frustrated about that. Um, yeah. just a, I don't remember if it was two or three years ago. It was, you know, like we North Dakota and South Dakota had major droughts kind of across the, the whole landscape. And there was uh there was a spot that the year before I had gone and pheasant hunted and the grass was, you know, waist or taller, waist higher, taller and amazing pheasant hunting. And there was really good, um, deer sign in there. And so I'd actually gone back to try to deer hunt the property. And when I got back, it had gone through one of those uh, emergency haying. And so it was like, I would pulled up and it was like a fairway, like on a golf course, it was just gone. And it, you know, so it was like in that moment I was frustrated, um, you know, because like all this habitat just, you know, disappeared. And so I, I understand it from both sides though. You have, uh, farmers and ranchers that are trying to protect their herd to actually have cows at the end of the year to sell and not have a bunch of them die off because of starvation. Um, and I think I would rather see stuff grazed, you know, especially because every once in a while, it's good to have all that. Like you said, it's good to have that land disturbance in the long run. It'll, it'll bring up a lot of those native grasses and stuff that can take as over a, as a management practice. Yeah. Right. Right. As a management practice. But it is, it is, can be frustrating in the moment. Cause you, you, especially if it's, uh, if it gets overgrazed, um, you know, you look at a piece of land that was covered in tall prairie grasses and all of a sudden it's just down to the nubs. It just, it's, uh, yeah. it's heartbreaking in the moment, but typically that passes. So it's, I, I don't have a really good answer for you other than well. it's frustrating. And, and this guy was complaining that that's where all your money is going, that the DNR funding is going to, that's where your pheasants forever dollars are going to. But David, as you, as you know about that, the landowner is paying for a lot of that. Yeah. They're renting the pasture. Basically they're paying to have their cows out there. They're either repairing fences or putting up temporary fences, which they take down again. It's only May 1st to September 1st that they can graze in the article that I read. So by the time hunting season comes around, they're not going to be, there's not going to be cows out there. Now, do you guys know if that happens on say this particular WMA, is it, does it become rotational? You know, if they have the same drought like conditions the following year and the, the farmer rancher wants to graze again, can he, do they send them back to that same property or do they try to find a, a suitable one nearby? Do you guys, Sam, do you know the answer to that at all? I don't know the answer to that. I would hope they try to find right. uh, somewhere else to send them because we've all seen what happens if stuff gets overgrazed year after year, then just nothing grows back. Um, and so I would I would hope that there's enough land to be able to, to rotate it so some of those grasses can come back. I mean, it's gonna be better for the herd anyway. Right, right. Well, I'm sure we can find it either on uh, the DNR or USDA websites out there, but David, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a DNR person that manages it, I would assume. Grazing of CRP acres not more than every other year for a twenty five percent payment reduction. Okay, hang of all CRP practices except for CP twelve wildlife food plots and several tree practices not more than once every three years for a twenty five percent payment reduction. So, um. That's on CRP. Oh, that's, yeah, that is yeah. CRP. Okay. Well, anyway, we'll look up, we'll look that up for a future show. <laughs> yeah. Find that up. Oh, or, or if somebody watching has the answer, comment below. We'd appreciate yes. it. Yeah. I would, I would say the one thing I, I'm okay with grazing and that type of stuff, as long as 
uh, people are adhering to the dates that are specified yeah, in right. how long you can graze it. Because I have, in the past, I have seen places that, you know, cattle are supposed to be off by October 1 or whatever, and I'm out there chasing mule deer, and it's October 31, and there's still a pile of cattle in on stuff. So I know that can change, that can shift depending on what's being grazed, but I have been in areas where it gets frustrating where stuff was supposed to be off a month ahead of time, and it's not. You know, everything always looks good on paper. There's always some people trying to take advantage of certain situations, I'm sure. Uh, you, you see that with, like, roadside mowing. And I don't know what what the actual – what are the laws, actually? Are there actual dates sure. or is it just a recommendation after – I think it's just a recommendation. Recommendation. Um, I, I think for the most part, it seems like some people do try to wait to, to, to mow their roadside ditches – a little bit but you always see some people doing it and those guys probably need the hay i suppose right. they probably got yep. something to feed um sam yep. being in north dakota and traveling around uh i know a lot of guys are out there shooting early canada geese during the august season what have you been hearing about e-posting this year and how well is that program working in north dakota you know i think the e-posting thing keeps you, you know for good for better or worse um you know it's easy to see on the digital map I think what it has done is it makes it easier for people to post ground. And so I think there is more ground that's being posted now because, you know, you used to have to go out and set signs on every corner and kind of keep it up to date um, and that kind of thing. So I think the e-posting is, you know, everything progresses. So it was, it was inevitable at some point that it was going to happen, but it, it is a little bit, I think there is definitely some frustration there that there's a lot more ground being posted because it is simple. Is that been limiting access then you think? Is it, are those landowners that are posting it just keeping people out of it or are they letting people on uh, that use the, the app or, <clears throat> or whatever? Is it basically there? It's posted now. So people look it up on the app and it's just closed for them at this point. Well, I think, yeah, I think, um, I think I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that a lot of people are e-posting because they were, uh, you know, maybe getting tired of people abusing it, you know, if they had an outdated sign and, um, you know, people would disrespect the land or the landowner. Um, so I think there's still probably plenty of people that are allowing people to come and hunt, you know, maybe not for deer. Um, but for <laughs> never, more. never for no. deer or pheasants. Yeah. In the, North bigger, Dakota. the bigger the game, the more tight, you know, it all gets. But um, I think there's still plenty of opportunity to go knock on doors or call the landowner. Um, even if it's e-posted, I think there's, plenty of okay. ground. I mean, so you're, last you're not year, hearing... my... sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, even last year, one of my good buddies, he was out um, scouting for deer and, and met a guy who had e-posted a whole pile of ground and they just talked for a little while. And he's like, Hey, I only rifle hunt this. If you're just archery hunting, like anything with my name on it, you can go and walk onto. And oh, so perfect. there's, you know, still plenty of that. We've even brought somebody a pie one time in North Dakota. <laughs> 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 they had a pile of ducks in their field and we're like, Hey, if you give us permission, we'll bring you a pie. And the guy called us laughing and he's like, you don't have to bring me a pie. Go ahead and hunt it. Yeah. You know, most we people still brought him a pie. case of beer. Where did <laughs> yeah. the pie come from? I, I don't know. Something <laughs> I, different. I gave I, farmers a I lot like of bush light <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of pie was it? I'm curious now. I think it was a pumpkin pie. Was it Thanksgiving? It was, you know, November. All right. Fair enough. It's all the grocery store had. <laughs> and you didn't even bake it yourself? No. Well, you're a self-proclaimed baker. Why didn't you bake it yourself? You always bake things. Not a lot of ovens in the hotel room. Oh, come on. <laughs> Adapt and overcome. 
You know, I like that pastry tactic. I was a sales rep for a short period of time and I would show up with like a, like a, I don't know, four to six coffees and a whole thing of donuts. Hmm. And I tell you what, when buyers were like, you came here like offering me something, not just asking me to buy something. Like I sold a lot of stuff because of $12 coffee and donuts. (laughs) (laughs) They teach you that in college, to be honest. Like it's, that's a proven thing. I'm serious. Yeah. (laughs) Growing up, my dad worked for 3M. And so we, we would just, he would fill a box full of like scotch tape and masking tape and post-it notes and, you know, a bunch of 3M products they could get at, at a discount in their 3M store or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And people love that. They, I mean, they could use tape for everything. So I guess uh, it's a thought that counts. And as long as it's something useful. So beer. takeaway from this show is if you own land, you can get paid to put it in walk-in access or you can also just let if you let people on it you'll get pies scotch tape beer, <laughs> and beer pastries coffee whatever you want <laughs> all uh, sorts of stuff sam sohol is our guest uh for the radio show we're gonna let uh the radio network go but we're gonna continue this conversation on the podcast so pick it up at sportingjournalradio.com or on the sporting journal radio youtube channel more with sam coming up on the podcast did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm gonna fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Sam, one other thing that's happening in North Dakota right now is this uh, like Airbnb model for hunting land. And I heard the guy from Shark Tank talk about it uh, a few months ago, I suppose, or whatever it was. And then now on Instagram, I'm starting to see ads for it. So I wasn't quite sure how it was going to look, what was going to happen, if it was going to actually happen. But apparently it's happening. Have you seen that? Are you hearing anything about it? Uh, What's your impression of that situation? So is it land trust? I think it was land trust. I think so. Yep. You know, I think like anything, if done right, I think it can be beneficial to both hunters and landowners. Now I don't like to see privatization, you know, because of it. And you're probably going to end up having some of that where people are going to buy properties and rent them out for hunting purposes or recreational land or whatever. Um, but I think done in the right way, I think it can be beneficial, especially when, you know, if you, it's, you know, it's kind of nice to know that you're like, I pretty much all hunt all public land. So I'm hoping it doesn't tie up more private. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think for people who are going out of state or trying to go somewhere new and just like want to know that they're going to be the only ones accessing that property. Um, I think it, it's, probably a little bit less expensive than a lease because you're only doing it for, I don't know, I've never really looked into land trust all that much. So I'm assuming it's a lot like Airbnb where you can rent it for three to five days or, or whatever. 
Um, I don't know how that works. I'm just hoping it doesn't end up having uh, detrimental effects to the land. Like, you know, instead of right. there'd be a group of guys lease a property, right? If they lease acres or whatever, you know, it's three or four guys or whatever. They're the only ones that are going to be using that where I feel like a land trust could lead to like, you know, three to five guys on it every week for the yeah. whole season. You know, and it's going to be hard, way harder on both the landscape and the wildlife. Well, I wonder what, you know, depending on what you're doing there, you know, I wonder how good it's going to be after a couple of trips roll through there. You know, it's going to either kill everything or push everything off or, you know, if it's, you know, if it's during the hunting season and they got, you know, uh, harvested fields or a pond, you might get to hunt migrating waterfall, which may be the best situation. But, you know, deer hunting or bird oh, watching, bird, bird watching, bird watching, 75 <laughs> bucks a day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bird Brilliant. Sweet. I mean, that is well, a 16,000 acre ranch. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wonder what else they have. Three bedrooms, seven guys. Seven guys can go bird bird watching. So <laughs> if you've got a bird watching group of eight, you're screwed. But if you've got seven or less, so I'll tell you. I mean, as much as we're going to make fun of bird watching from a from a landowner perspective, what a great way to make money, though. Yeah, non consumptive. Yeah. They should buy their duck stamp, though. Yeah, I agree with that, one hundred percent. That's right. That's out. Let's see. That's in Gordon. You know, I honestly, I bet they're going to crush on the bird watching thing because. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm serious. So the Sandhill Crane yeah. migration. Oh, yeah. Major attractor for bird watchers. And so, you know, if they've got Sandhill Cranes that come through every year, I bet they'll I bet they'll rent that place out every day. I've got cranes around uh, here. I'm looking at it. He actually, it says they can't wait to have your hunting party. So apparently you can hunt it too. But okay. I think it's more fun to make fun of the bird watching. <laughs> <laughs> they got a picture of a dove there and we yeah. got cranes. Dan, I'm going to start renting your room out. All right. People I'll, can. It, okay. Give me a cut of the money and I will move out and you can <laughs> rent it out forever. How about that? Oh, uh, man. Uh, what else is going on? Did, have we waded into the crossbow situation oh, with geez. you yet, Sam? No. Here we go. I don't know if I want to touch it. Um, you know, I, I don't personally crossbow hunt. I, I understand why the state would do it. You know, they're going to make more money off of people. Um, you know, a lot of guys that rifle hunt will get a crossbow license. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to know where to draw the line. You know, crossbow hunting is to me, it doesn't seem like archery hunting, um, mm-hmm. because you don't have to draw that back. Like mm-hmm. when you, especially when you talk about hunting from the ground, like having the wherewithal to be able to draw at the right moment and not scare the crap out of the deer is everything. You know, even it's when almost you're impossible. Stand, yep. Even when you're in the stand, a lot of times just knowing when to actually draw back and then holding back. I mean, the deer I killed last year, I was drawn back for uh, two minutes and 25 seconds before I was able to release an arrow. Yeah. And with a crossbow, like you don't have to do that. And I know, I know that's a very like kind of nitpicky thing to talk about, but it's, it's no. not archery hunting. To um, me, that's the number one reason when I ask people about this, like, well, it's, you know, you got a string and, and an arrow and this and that it's art. It, it, well, no, the draw, like that is the big, the big thing when people, when they start talking about traditional bows or compound bows, and right. I think that's a different argument, but that draw holding at full draw is really where you see the big difference between, obviously you can talk about accuracy at longer distances and, 
and uh, some other easier things. But to me, that's the number one thing that you can point to that makes crossbow hunting different than archery is being able to hold it full drawn. And I've been, I'm not against crossbows. I, I don't know how many times we, we get ripped on this show for bashing this decision in Minnesota, but I, I need to make it clear. We're not against crossbow use. We were fine with the way it was before with, what was it? People over 65, 65. And then, or if they had some sort of injury or disability, fine, have at her. I got no problem with that. My thing, if you want to really want to look at it, look at how they manage muzzle loaders. You know, you don't have muzzle loaders for the, for the gun season. You don't have, I mean, you can use them in the gun season, but you don't have them for the archery season. You have a special muzzle loader hunt. Crossbows should be managed the same way. Have a special crossbow season, sell a special license. You'll still make your money on it. You'll keep bow hunters happy. You'll make crossbow hunters. You'll give them, you know, gun hunters an extra chance to hunt if they don't want to bow hunt. They'll get to have their own crossbow season and, and then just everybody wins because it's uh it's not the same as archery. Yeah. You know, and it's possible that Minnesota just looked at Wisconsin, you know, who did the, went to crossbows. I don't know how many years ago now. Years where ago. You just, yeah. You can just buy your crossbow permit when you're buying your archery license. And so, you know, maybe they saw, maybe it was successful in Wisconsin. Maybe it wasn't maybe, or, you know, maybe they saw the extra funding or what, who knows what the well, thought process was. Well, how it went through, Sam, and it wasn't the DNR that put it through. And I, you know, I've had conversations with a few members of the DNR when, when Landwehr was commissioner, when Wisconsin did it, Tom Landwehr was a commissioner and I talked to him about it one time. He's like, well, I don't know. We're, we're just kind of watching to see how things go. He wasn't necessarily, I mean, it wasn't even really a thought about yet for Minnesota. And when this went through, I talked to some DNR guys and they didn't even know it was a possibility this year. It was put, it was put through by the legislature. There was uh, two to three legislators that just snuck it in a bill. And all they did was remove some language that said uh, it removed the age restriction for crossbow mm. use during the archery season. That's all it was, just a simple removal of a couple okay. of words. And it wasn't until it was signed that people were like, whoa, what just happened? Yeah. So to me, that that has that it has all to do with money, but not from a DNR standpoint. That's there, you know that's really interesting. Because, you know where like what's the backdoor funding that's happening from that? Like what you know what was the? I'm curious now what like the push was or where you know crossbow companies. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? Had big, to be crossbow companies. Big crossbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big, <laughs> big, big CB. Yeah. I, do, I do know that. The, the crossbow industry, you know, it's one area that, you know, retailers and dealers are able to grow a lot right now sure. because it's a new thing, right? Yeah. And so I would, you know, I'm not surprised that it got pushed through because there's going to be millions and millions of dollars of crossbows sold this year because people can go out and hunt during the archery season with them. And, and, and I'm not against those companies. I want to make myself clear. I'm not against those companies, but if you would have had an, a special crossbow season, they still would have sold, maybe not as many, but they still would have probably sold quite a few of them because it would have been an additional opportunity for deer hunters. So aside right. from how it happened and what's happening, what do you think the impact will be? Because I've done some research on it. I've talked to a few biologists about it. Some people don't think it's going to affect the overall population. There's definitely been an increase in bucks harvested in some states that allow crossbows. And it, it moves, moves the harvest up. So a lot of people are going to be killing deer earlier in the year. Overall yep. may not be as many, especially in Minnesota, if you can only shoot one in a lot of places. But I'm curious is what, what 
all if there's going to be and maybe we're making a big deal out of nothing. Maybe it won't happen. But I'm curious to see when it comes to public lands. And this is what I wanted to ask you about, Sam. When it comes to public lands for somebody that bow hunts, you know, in September on public lands, do you worry and maybe you don't do it in Minnesota as much, but do you worry about an increase in hunters on public lands? Excuse me, earlier in the archery season because of the uh, expanded crossbow use. Definitely, especially right away. I mean, what you're going to have is you're going to have a bunch of guys who didn't archery hunt um, that are going to get into it because they can get a crossbow. And so you'll ha- you'll end up having, especially immediately, you'll have overcrowding on public stuff because guys are like, oh, well, I can get a crossbow. I can go out and, you know, it's basically similar to rifle hunting with, you know, but now I can go hunt during the archery season. So yeah, you're, you're definitely going to see more pressure put on on a limited amount of ground. And I'm one. And I'm just wondering if that, is, you know, the the big argument against us has been, well, no, you're just you're being anti-hunter and you're just uh, trying to keep people from having more opportunity to go out there and hunt. And that's a, the wrong way to look at this situation, because I'm worried that it's going to create more negative experiences for people in the woods and on public land. And in the end, somebody goes out there to crossbow hunt or to bow hunt. The next thing you know, they're arguing or they're getting beat to the to the land or or whatever, or they're there's 18 people on, on 80 acres, they're not going to go there the next year, or maybe they go hang their crossbow up you know, creating negative experiences to me is more impactful than creating all these new experiences that may have the potential to crowd the woods. It's the Matt Ranella take. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred percent, you know, yeah. kind of what he's saying too on yeah. that topic for sure. Yeah. No, hundred percent. It's a, I'm all about, you know, it's like the whole path program, right? That whole thing is going to increase the number of quality experiences that people can have, like on the landscape. The more ground that we can spread people out on, the more limit, you know, like the, where you can go and you can have an experience by yourself or with the group of people that you're with and not be fighting over acres, uh, the more impactful, more impact it's going to have on people to want to donate back to it to be involved to volunteer um to protect it and when you have these negative experiences it's going to lead to bad things now again like not anti-crossbow not you know very pro hunting in any form as long as it's legal um but i think they're just like anything there just needs to be regulation and so it all works together instead of uh creating rifts between um you know what people do and look at us we're having a whole conversation about it right now and you know it's created a rift and just the conversations we have for no reason yeah i know <laughs> um it's so, yeah well yes can i ask can i ask a question of the youth three do you think if this rule would have been passed the right way public input right brought up like okay let's ask minnesota deer hunters what they think let's pass it through not just slipped in yeah do you think our opinions would be a little different if we could have seen that Maybe there was a majority of deer hunters in Minnesota that liked this. Do you think we might be a little bit not on edge about this, the way it passed, the way it kind of just jumped through without really any any consideration except money? You know, I think I think I'd still be upset about it. It, it would probably lessen the blow a little bit yeah. because of the way it was just kind of snuck into a bill like that. Um, if, if the hunters of Minnesota wanted it, yes. 
I guess it would help. It would make things a little bit easier. But what if what if all the half million deer hunters in Minnesota said, well, uh, we're going to vote for rifle usage statewide during the entire archery season? You know, you, you, at, at, at some point, you, you've got to you've got to stand up for the way things are if you feel like that's the best way to manage things because you're not guaranteed a deer just because you buy a license when people right. say well i'm gonna oh my when people say i'm gonna shoot a deer no matter what what does it matter what weapon i use or how i do it well of course that matters because the whole point of having a four month or three and a half month archery season is not because you're guaranteed a deer it's because it's a harder method to kill a deer so they're giving you the maximum amount of time possible to get it done just because you buy a tag doesn't mean you're going to fill your freezer every year or put something on the wall. So to me, it matters what weapon you use and how long you have a chance to do that. But I definitely don't like the way that they snuck it in like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, it would definitely lessen the blow. Like if it was brought to the public's attention, was had input, you know, the D, you know, DNR was in on it, like to talk about it and have discussions about why, you know, the change was being made um you know it's uh it's pretty easy to have distrust distrust in the government already and which because it no No. (laughs) and so like you know it's just one more example of slipping things into a bill or adding an addendum into something uh you know kind of like talking about something over here and you know getting everybody's attention and then it's like over here they're doing something completely different so it's just politics are hard and frustrating. And uh, especially when it comes to wildlife and habitat and that kind of stuff, we're all very passionate. And so I think it's easy for us to jump to quick conclusions and be on edge about it and be upset about it when things aren't transparent. Yeah. I, I, I think it's clear. We all want quality hunting opportunities. We, we would love to have more people doing the same things that we love. There are strength in numbers. Of course, we don't want to see them show up at the same piece of land. <laughs> yeah, let's talk at the cafe afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I right. want to see it till then. Yeah. <laughs> but when we create more habitat and create more places to go, that's just going to give us more room for more people to uh, enjoy the things that we love to do. So uh, I think that's, that's something we all want to see is just positive hunting and, and fishing opportunities for, for everyone in the future and just do it the right way. All right, Sam, uh, one more time. Why don't you give us a plug for your duck ruck and, uh, and then we won't ask you any more controversial <laughs> questions. <laughs> all right. September 13, 14, 15, I'm doing the 100-mile prairie pothole duck ruck in an attempt to raise $100,000 for wetland conservation. So with 100% of the money donated over at publiclandtees.com, we will go out and buy federal duck stamps and by law, 98% of that money has to be spent on more wetlands, habitat, easements, everything uh, to get more access for waterfowlers. And it's not just good for migratory birds, it's good for roughly 700 species um, of plants and animals that rely on wetlands. So I've said it for years, that federal duck stamp program is the best governmental program we have in the United States, hands down. It's a good one. And Sam, man, I love having you on the show because you won't back down from some of the topics we ask you about, but you're you're such an advocate for for hunting and hunting access. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. Keep up the good work. And thanks for the time today here on the show. Hey, I just appreciate you having me on and let me kind of talk about everything I love doing. So it's a pleasure to be here. Good luck on the ruck. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. 
go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.